BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Automatically keeps out the sounds you don't want to hear so you can listen to your music. And lowers your music to let in the sounds you do need to hear. Hi there. Hi, what can I get you? I'll have a strawberry mango coconut probiotic smoothie with wheatgrass. Anything else? Extra wheatgrass. Here you go. AirPods Pro with adaptive audio. Available on AirPods Pro second generation when enabled. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today we are getting around, finally, to the topic of homeschooling. And I say finally because... A, people have requested this topic for a long time. And B, I have dropped references throughout the history of stuff mom never told you about my homeschooling past for a little refresher course for folks out there who don't know. I was homeschooled from second through eighth grade and I'm living to tell the tale. Do tell. The people need to know. I mean, I, t- I I really enjoyed it. When I was a kid, it was super fun. Uh, my mom homeschooled me as well as two of my older siblings. And they were actually homeschooled through high school. Uh, I was kind of gratefully like sent to a traditional high school. Uh, middle school started to get a little... Yeah, I wasn't too into it. But it was... It was great. I mean, my mom was a trained teacher. She would essentially give us assignments. It was very self-directed. We would have a couple of meetups during the week to go over things. She would administer tests, all of that. And I mean, I did well in traditional school, graduated from college. I would say that I am, I hope my mom is listening to this. I I think I could say I'm a homeschooling success. (laughs) You know, I didn't, I turned out weird, (laughs) but not too weird that I can't talk to people because mm-hmm. there are all of these stereotypes about homeschoolers and how uh, they have horrible social skills. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to lie, we were in homeschooling groups and there were certain kids who were more adept at talking to the parents than interacting with their peers. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, I think that's that's going to happen in you know any school. You're going to have some 
uh, some socialization gaps there. Yeah. Well, do you think it helped you in college, study in college for all those classes where you have to be kind of self-directed? Yeah, I would say in my, uh, the, the biggest thing that I noticed with the transition to traditional school was that I was great at homework. Mm-hmm. I loved reading assignments. Like I could knock that stuff out. Studying for tests. Yes. The one thing I had to learn how to do was sit through lectures and take notes. And I had no idea how to take notes. Like my first notes were like, well, just every, do I write just, everything? Just a down? word here or there. Yeah. I also remember someone teaching me how to highlight in books. I was like, what do I highlight? I would highlight entire paragraphs because <laughs> it was like the cool thing to do, you know? And I was really pumped to have these highlighters that I could use in my school books. So enough about me. Uh, or do you want more about me? Well, I mean, I feel like you can definitely add a lot to these various topics that we're going to cover. Oh, yes. Because we're going to talk about kind of the history of it, how it came about, how it was viewed very negatively as this fringe activity and then has now just totally taken over and blossomed and so many people are homeschooling their kids. But also the social effects, Mm -hmm. you know, academic achievement, all that stuff. So I think the people would like to know you know, how your parents got involved in that. I'll give them the inside scoop. Do. (laughs) Well, let's first take a step back in history to just understand when schooling in the United States became compulsory. Right. And the concept of schooling, education, the whole compulsory thing, you're going to send your kids to school and educate them, is very deeply ingrained in American society. And it starts, not surprisingly, if you think about it, with the Puritans up in Massachusetts. Uh, in 1642, the first general compulsory education law in the country, well, in the colonial yeah. group of regions, uh, was enacted in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, and it required that children be taught to read and write, and the thinking went that basically education is your moral and social obligation because they wanted their kids to be literate enough to both read the Bible and read and understand the laws of the land. Yeah, and in 1647, the colony's general court passed the first law requiring that towns provide schools. And then again, Massachusetts, loving this compulsory education. In 1852, they passed the first compulsory education law. And it's not only a requirement for education, but also a requirement that children attend public schools. And before we say, hey, way to go, Massachusetts, I will say that the motivations behind passing the law were a little sketchy because it was targeted at immigrant families that they wanted to ensure that their kids learned the American way so they could become good workers. Yeah, and I mean, we've talked about this in a couple other other episodes, particularly the PTA one comes to mind about, we, we just want to fix these kids. We want them to fall in line with what we think is the proper American way to be. Um, so by 1918, all states had passed school attendance legislation, but it wasn't really until the 1930s uh, that many were successful in enforcing those laws. So during the 1920s through the 1970s, homeschooling is still happening, you know, here and there, but it's pretty underground, usually in rural areas. But then in the 1960s and 70s, we have both the Christian right and the counterculture left saying, hey, uh, how about this homeschooling thing? Yeah, they had very different reasons for wanting to homeschool their kids, but at the root, it was it was very similar. Basically, things weren't being taught the way that they wanted them to be taught, or yeah. their children weren't being educated the way that they wanted their children to learn. 
1969, for instance, and this is on the more Christian right end of the spectrum, we have Raymond Moore, who was a missionary and a former U.S. Department of Education employee who started looking into educational research and figuring out how public schools were teaching or, in this case, in his mind, failing to teach kids in the U.S. And um, he and his wife sought all this advice from family development specialists and research. And the thesis they came up with was that public schooling is horrible for your kids. Yeah, the things that they say public schooling will do to you or just sitting in a classroom all day, private or public... They said that it caused developmental problems like hyperactivity, nearsightedness, and dyslexia. And these things were often the result of prematurely taxing a child's nervous system and mind with continuous academic tasks. So it's amazing that I'm even sitting here. I should be totally stunted, like in the fetal position somewhere. Um, Yeah, Dr. Moore referred to public schools as godless monstrosities. That's that's serious. Pretty strong. Yeah, words. he he thought that formal schooling should be delayed until at least eight or ten. So just just let him play in the sandbox until then. Well, and he advocates instead a Christianity-based homeschooling. So keep in mind, we've got the Christian right starting to say, hey, you know what? Maybe public schools are godless monstrosities. Um, this could be a better way to go. Yeah. So now moving over to the other end of the spectrum, to the more counterculture left side, we have John Holt, who was an author and educator who rose to prominence in the 1970s because he was advocating for decentralizing schooling and allowing parents and teachers greater autonomy. And it's developed into his theory of unschooling. Yeah, that basically means that learning... Learning that doesn't look like school learning. It doesn't necessarily need to take place at home, but it's not your traditional sit-at-a-desk-all-day kind of thing. He thought that that constituted basically a lack of humanity towards school children and thought that teachers really stymied kids' natural curiosity, forcing them to learn, which one might argue could be a good thing to force someone to learn, but he said that it completely would change kids' personalities. So in the 70s and 80s, we have all these theories of homeschooling that start to brew, but it isn't really until the 90s that more significant numbers of parents start taking their kids out of public schools and teaching them at home. And it's largely due to a sort of fear of the conditions of the public school system and also religious motivations. Yeah, there are some people who definitely are not big fans of the education system in general. Uh, Mary Novello, for instance, who at the time in 1998 was an adjunct fellow at the Washington Institute, considered the link between actual education and schooling to be weak. And she is one of many people who argued that uh, this whole school bureaucracy thing, it was more about the bureaucracy and maintaining the system than it was about really educating Kids, And then we have, you know, the whole libertarian attitude of, like, get the government out of my family. And so David Boaz, who is the executive uh, vice president of the Libertarian Cato Institute, cited declining school quality, lack of moral instruction, and forced volunteering as downsides of public forced education. And there is also at the time mounting fear about violence in public school, whether you are exposing your kids unnecessarily to potentially harmful situations. And I know we've talked a lot, like mentioned the the Christian right and sort of this fear of public school a lot. And we're not harping on it. I will say in my 
experience with homeschooling. Those two factors did play a large role in my siblings and I being pulled out of public school and being taught at home. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and, and I will say in that regard, you know, my parents did have uh, their, my our best interest in mind. Yeah, same with my cousins. It, similar situation. Religious beliefs conflicted with the way their kids were being taught at school. Yeah, and it was this was also happening in the 90s, early, mid 90s. Mm-hmm. And we were a minority in uh, the town where I grew up. Like, I didn't know many other homeschool kids. I always kind of wanted to avoid the question, where do you go to school? Because I'd have to say, uh, in, well, we have we have a room in the house. My parents still in the, live in the same house. We had a room designated as the school room, which we still refer to as the school room. But it was also the place where you would go if you ever got in trouble. <laughs> so if, oh, mom, no. if mom ever said, Kristen, uh, can you meet me in the school room? She's like, no. That's bad associations. Yeah. <laughs> school and getting in trouble. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. So moving forward, <laughs> uh, in 1999, there were about 850,000 families in the U.S. who were homeschooling their kids. And in 2003, that number goes up to 1.1 million. And now, according to the National Center for Education Statistics, there are probably about 1.5 million kids being homeschooled. Yeah, humongous jump. Ginormous amount of people. 
<laughs> relative to how it used to be, especially in the 70s, putting their kids in uh, homeschooling. Uh, this is We got a lot of information from Education Week, Institute of Education Sciences, and a study by Brian Ray in the National Home Education Research Institute from 2011. Lots of statistics to cover. And he said, uh, Ray said that between 2007 and 2010, for instance, the number of students increased by an estimated 7%. And I will say that, yeah, we have 1.5 million. Some people estimate that it's closer to 5 million kids. They're not entirely sure. Uh, and that represents about 3% of the school-age population. And you might be thinking, 3%, that's nothing. Well, it's huge compared to what it used to be. Right. And the numbers only keep rising more every year. Yeah, in 2007, just to throw some more stats at you and confuse you, uh, in 2007, 84% of homeschooled students received all of their education at home. Did you, did you, were you all at home or were you venturing out or? We, we were never allowed to leave the house. <laughs> uh, the chain, the chain around your foot only stretched so far. Yeah, we had one of those like the invisible fences that get your dogs. Uh, no, we did, we did leave the house, but we were taught exclusively at home. Yeah. But I did have friends who had uh, private tutors come in or they would go take a specialty class, like a fine arts class yeah. at a private school from time to time. Well, 11% uh, were enrolled in school less than nine hours per week and 5% were enrolled nine to 25 hours per week. So there's there's definitely a mix. Obviously, it's not cut and dry with homeschoolers. People choose to do it differently. Oh, yeah. There are many different ways that you can homeschool a child. But first... Why do people choose to do it today? According to the U.S. Department of Education, there are obviously plenty of different motivations, but mostly are white religious conservative families who want to provide religious or moral instruction. And again, not to harp on my own upbringing, but a lot of our curriculum was Christian-based and Judeo-Christian ethics were woven throughout history, science, literature, all that stuff. Yeah. And that was, according to the the Department of Ed, the 2000 survey, that was 36%, the moral and uh, religious instruction. 21%, coming in at second, 21% of parents said they were most concerned about their child's learning environment, so maybe not happy with the school or the way things are being taught. 17% uh, cited dissatisfaction with the institutions their kids were in. Only 7% cited the desire to provide a non-traditional approach to education. Hippies. More of the, the John Holt side of the with the unschooling. Yeah. Um, and for a little demographic breakdown, we mentioned white religious conservatives. Uh, 77% of homeschool students are white. 89%. Uh, are living in two-parent households, and a greater percentage also lives in more rural areas. Mm-hmm. And most of these families do have two or more children. Their parents tend to be well-educated, middle class. So, But that, that's not the only group of people. It's definitely um, a lot of the articles we read cited you know, studies showing that it is expanding. Mm-hmm. More people are getting interested in taking their children out of traditional school settings for whatever reason. Um, USA Today in February of this year had an article about the growing African-American involvement in homeschooling. And uh, Joyce Burgess, who's the co-founder of uh, National Black Home Educators, said that their network has grown from about 500 homeschoolers a decade ago 
to about 2,500. And she said that her parents uh, in the network, their reasons are typically more practical than than focusing on the religious aspect. Yeah, and that's something that you are seeing more and more. The the pool is diversifying away from the white religious conservative. Right. So what about student achievement? I mean, I did okay, you know. You seem to be successful at being a human. I got some good marks in school. Uh, and thank you. Decent human too. <laughs> All right. Uh, but the, you know, the, a question that has often been asked about homeschooling is whether or not kids will get as good of an education as they would in a traditional public or private school. And it's kind of up in the air. I mean, I think the stereotype that I have in my head is that homeschooled children are super smart. I think that's an okay stereotype yeah. to have. I mean, I, I feel like if you get such individualized attention from your parents or your tutors or whoever is teaching you outside of a school setting, I, I feel like you're you're almost more set up to succeed because there's more focus on teaching you whatever your learning style is. But Christopher Lubienski, a professor of education policy at the University of Illinois, told USA Today, there's really not good evidence that it's a better model for children. And he basically says that high achievers might excel anywhere, whether you're learning at home or whether you're learning in a public school. And he says that some parents, one of his concerns is that some parents just aren't qualified to provide the education for their children. But here's the thing about about the homeschool studies. I mean, he, he says that there's not good evidence. And the reason for that argument is that there have been studies published saying, yes, homeschooling is fantastic for your children. They, on average, make higher uh, standardized test scores. They will go to college. They will be successful. But a lot of those studies have been sponsored by groups like the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, mm-hmm. which obviously, you know, homeschool advocacy groups that w- it would be in their best interest to sort of self-select these high-achieving groups to publish those test scores. And I'm not saying that these groups are fudging the books in any way, but there have been methodological problems that they've run into uh, because there just hasn't been a lot of apples-to-apples comparisons between Mm -hmm. public and private schools versus homeschool. Yeah. Well, one of the, you cited the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. In 2009, they put out a study that showed homeschool students typically score 34 to 39 percentile points higher than average students on standardized tests. And uh, Lawrence Redner, in a 1998 study in Education Policy Analysis Archives, said that homeschool students' test scores are exceptionally high and 25% of these students were enrolled in one or more grades above their age-level peers. But again, you know, these are coming from, those results are coming from these uh, exclusively like homeschool advocacy groups. So in 2011, some researchers at Mount Allison University in Canada published a study called The Impact of Schooling on Academic Achievement, Evidence from Homeschooled and Traditionally Schooled Students, trying to uh, figure out whether and like how homeschooling stacked up against public schooling. And it was a very small sample size. I believe there were 34 or 35 homeschoolers that they looked at. And when all of the, the numbers were compared, the homeschoolers did as well as the public school kids. But then when they broke down the way that the homeschool kids were taught, um, there was a group that was more traditionally taught with a structured curriculum, a structured plan every day. And then there were kids who were unschooled, who were very, uh, had a very footloose and fancy free kind of education where math class, say, is 
going to the candy store and having to pay for something and count out change. Um, and those, the unschooled kids did the worst uh, compared to public school kids and structured homeschool kids. But the kids with the structured homeschool did the best mm-hmm. out of all the kids. Yeah, structured homeschool, then public school, and then unstructured homeschool students bringing up the rear. But I think something to, to bring up about that is maybe the top two groups are being taught to the test. Perhaps. I mean, maybe in that structured environment at homeschool, the parents or, or whoever's teaching the kids are focused on ensuring you do well on these standardized tests so that maybe you go to college or you do whatever, you know, uh, same as in the traditional school setting where you're being taught the test. Or it could also be benefits from things like small class size. Mm-hmm. I had a class of one. <laughs> uh, individualized instruction. And there's more freedom to really dig into core subjects because of the small class size. Right. Uh, but there was also the, the researchers from Mount Allison also uh, pointed out that testing conditions for public school kids vastly different from sitting at your breakfast table like I would do and take my CRCT tests every mm-hmm. year rather than being in uh, a room with all of your classmates and all of those distractions possibly going on. Yeah. Yeah. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation blogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. Well, speaking of distractions, I'm going to use this as a bumpy transition into the social aspect of homeschool. An awkward, a homeschool awkward transition. Yes, exactly. Or an only child awkward transition. Let's just bring it all together, Kristen. There you go. Let's come full circle. So how did your parents ensure that you had friends? Well, I had extracurricular activities. Mm -hmm. Uh, Probably at this point in the podcast, it wouldn't come as a surprise to hear that I went to church Mm -hmm. a lot. 
had my youth group, my Sunday school, and I also took ballet and was on a soccer team. So, yes, I left the home. I interacted <laughs> with children of the same age group. I made friends. A few. Good. <laughs> One or two. One or two. <laughs> well, that's, I think the social stuff is a huge sticking point for a lot of opponents of homeschool. Uh, Samantha Labeda, uh, in a paper in Journal of Contemporary Legal Issues from 2005, said uh, basically that a lot of educators are worried about the social thing. And they think that it deprives children of the ability to develop socialization skills and arguing that school itself, the institution going there every day, dealing with bullies, shoving you in your locker, plays a significant role in socialization, learning how to cooperate, developing those skills. And they say that when you're homeschooled, your home, your school, your peers, your teachers, it's all one and the same. Mm-hmm. And uh, homeschool supporters, of course, would say, well, listen, socialization depends on interaction with adults in mm-hmm. addition to peers. And also the point about, you know, getting pushed into your locker mm-hmm. by bullies. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the socialization in a day-to-day school setting could have a negative impact of always having, you know, having to negotiate all of these difficult re- you know, relationships with your peers as hormones are developing and things like that. Uh, and th- there are ways outside of the home for your kids to receive plenty of socialization. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'll, I will say that when I went to high school, I didn't have trouble making friends, but there were certain times when I did experience homeschool gaps mm-hmm. because there, it, it is a, a big difference between like having to walk in every day into that environment rather than like waking up, getting breakfast, hanging out, doing your thing. You know, it's just like it, it presents more um, more obstacles, I guess, to kind of overcome. Yeah. You've got to get used to a whole different set of social issues. Yeah. And, and also realizing that school portrayed on television and <laughs> movies is, and I'm serious, this might sound crazy, but that uh, portrayal is not the same as it is in real life, and I would have to get that through my brain sometimes. Yeah, people in high school aren't actually 30 the way they are on TV (laughs) a lot of the time. (laughs) That would be weird. Um, Well, you know, bringing it all together, Larry Shires of the University of Florida and his 1992 doctoral dissertation, yes, it's dated, but bear with me, talks about school children being videotaped at play. These were traditional school students and homeschool students. They brought in trained counselors to observe them, and these counselors could not tell the difference. They didn't know who was homeschooled and who was traditionally schooled. Yeah, I mean, I think the socialization factor, in the same way that the parent will determine whether, like, the kind of curriculum the child will have, what form of education at home they will receive, they're also the gatekeepers of the socialization Mm -hmm. factor. You know, kids need to get out. You know, you need to, if you are being homeschooled, that kid probably needs to join a soccer team or do something. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I don't think that saying homeschooling, well, there's no way that they'll get enough socialization, I think is, that's eh, dramatic. Yeah, it's I mean, I feel like I knew plenty of people in regular school who were weirdos. Right. I mean, adoles- <laughs> adolescence is just awkward. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it has to do with just your family environment, too, whether mm-hmm. you're homeschooled or 
traditionally schooled. Yeah, I does think that sound it, weird? Like I'm schooling you? No, I think I, I think that's a good point. I think it would be difficult if you were an only child mm-hmm. to be homeschooled. There was a period when I was the only one at home being homeschooled, and that's when it started to get lonely. Yeah, and I really didn't like it as much because my older siblings were all out of the house at that point. And then I got to go to high school. I can picture you gazing out the window wistfully from your schoolroom in your house, like little Disney birds coming to land on your finger. That totally happened. Because <laughs> I could see the kids walking home from school. And I'd be like, what's that like? Why can't I have a trapper keeper? So how did you end up going to regular school? Uh, I think my parents realized that it would be good for me to go to high school just because I was the only one at home and my mom had returned to work. So even though I was really good with the self-directed aspect of it, um, I was a little glum about it. So I got to go to school. Yeah. Cool. And that's that. If I, if I have children, would I homeschool them? I don't think so, but that's just because I would make a terrible teacher. I get why people do it, religious, secular, however which way. Like, I get why people would do it, but I myself would probably... I can't do math. I can't. I can barely, like, oh, God, if I do long division and get a remainder, I don't know what to do with that. I learned that in homeschool. I could probably teach you. Oh, okay. (laughs) So, that is the story of homeschooling from my life to yours. Uh, I would now love to hear... From listeners out there who have been homeschooled, who are homeschooling their children, who are considering homeschooling, send me your homeschooling stories, all of them, because I have told so many stories of mine now. Momstuff at discovery.com is our email address. And of course, you can always hit us up on Facebook. And of course, you can find us on Twitter as well. Follow us at Momstuff Podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about homeschooling, you can read the article, How Homeschooling Works. It's at our website, HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's kids safe, COPPA certified. Uh- 
I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today.